Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And on tonight's program, I asked the question, are we past the worst of this stock sell-off? A better than expected inflation number in the US really excited the NASDAQ. It rose 3.33% on Friday, up about 6% for the week. And in fact, if you go back to Tuesday, it was up nearly 9%. So it's a big rebound of NASDAQ. Does it say a lot about interest rates going forward? Well, that's the question I asked Julia Lee and June Baylou. Their answers are quite interesting. And they do offer some very interesting stocks ideas as well. And then I catch up with the Chief Economist of HSBC here in Australia and New Zealand, Paul Bloxham. And I ask him about how high he thinks interest rates will go. From my point of view, it was good news. And I think many of you who would prefer rates not to go very high might be glad to hear what Paul is um, suspecting around interest rates. I also ask him about Aussie dollar. Is it going to go up or going to go down? Quite an interesting interview. I think you'll find it beneficial, particularly if you're trying to work out how to invest going forward based on the big economic stories that are likely to come out of the data machines out there. So that's the show. Let's kick off now with Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Well, Julia, I am thinking to myself, I've seen some nice gains on the NASDAQ last week, um, 6% for the week, but really from this intraday low, it was up nearly 9%. Is this the start of the bottoming process or should we keep our parachutes in case there's going to be another sell-off? It's easy to get pretty excited, especially with the speed of the move that we've seen upwards. And I guess over the last few weeks, Pete, we've been talking about short-term versus long-term. And long-term investors are still battling that interest rates are likely to go up. But we've been talking about how in the short term, things were looking like they had been overdone. And I guess the great thing about our markets is that they do overshoot on the upside as well as the downside. And the area that's been impacted the most, if you're looking at the short term, is a small cap and unprofitable space. We have a look at the small odds on the Australian market just this month today down by a massive 7.5%. So given the size of those halls, we are seeing a bit of a rebound. Big question is, is it likely to continue going? And I guess that's a million dollar question. I think we will see a little bit of momentum here uh, behind those small caps. However, having said that, you know, I think the chips are still stacked against the small caps because of those rising interest rates. The market had been oversold. Overdone, we're seeing a bit of a normalisation there, but I think overall it's still going to be a pretty tough place to be. Yeah, there are lots of headwinds. We know it, Ukraine, China, um, the coronavirus, and we still don't know what the Fed might do with interest rates. We don't know what the RBA would do with interest rates, but at least that there, there is a, a number of indicators. I know you, you look out for these as, as well as I do that there are a, a, a growing number of indicators saying that maybe inflation has peaked in the US and that it's coming down, but we don't know how fast it'll come down by. That's another critical issue, isn't it? Yeah, that, that is the key question. If we do see inflation remaining a lot stickier for longer, well, then we know that interest rates are probably going to have to arise more aggressively. But then again, if you do see uh, inflation falling quite swiftly, then that's a positive sign for the economy and a sign that interest rates probably won't rise as fast. 
course, if you are interested in those things, one of the lead indicators is oil prices because oil prices pretty much feed into almost every day, uh, almost every item that needs to be transported. Uh, so keep an eye on the oil price. I think as long as it's over 100 US a barrel, it's going to be still pretty tough for inflation. And we know that food costs are rising as well. I guess for investors, though, um, the market's really already priced in chances of recession. So if we do, don't see that aggressive hiking of interest rates and the destruction to the economy, then we could see our portfolios and prices rebounding further. But having said that, you know, in times like this, when we have seen small caps decimated, there are always opportunities out there as well. And there's certainly companies where the baby looks to be uh, having thrown out with the bath water. Um, so there's certainly opportunities for investors who are willing to step in and take a bit more risk. Mm. I've always wondered about that saying, like, who would not notice that a baby is in the water? You know, like, there would have to be a very, a very, very probably stupid man, I would have thought. Let's, but we won't go, go there. Julia, on that subject then, of, of the Aussie small caps that really have been beaten up, even though they might not be in your fund, what are some of the names that you have thought, thought well, look, probably in a year or two or three, people will look back and say, why didn't I buy those stocks then? Are, are there any that fit that bill for you? Absolutely. I mean, you already know that we like IDP education because yeah. of the rebounding travel and international students and the acquisitions that they've made. But in the same type of vein, uh, there's a small company called Experience Co. And this is all about outdoor adventures. So whether you're looking at rainforest tours, reef tours, uh, walking amongst the treetops, ropes, or looking at things like skydiving. And this company's been hit hard during the last three years because we haven't been doing a lot of those activities. Mm. But of course, with the rebound in travel, this is one that's likely to continue to rebound. And of course, the shares have been hit hard over the last three years. So look, in the same type of vein as IDP education in that it will benefit from the rebound in travel, and that's an interesting company to look at. Another one is uh, Eclipse. Now, this looks at salary packaging. And one thing we know is that the job market is very strong at the moment. And the other thing is that, you know, if you're looking for a car, demand is pretty limited. So what's happening with companies like Eclipse is when they go to sell the used cars when the no major leases are over, they're getting much higher prices at the moment. So that's helping earnings. But then on the flip side, we are seeing pent-up demand now for cars because there's such a long wait as well. Together with the very strong jobs market, and I think the outlook for this one is looking good over the next 12 months. So ECX is the stock code there. Um, and then just looking at things that are going to impact on individual stocks over the next few weeks, there are some big catalysts as well. We know that uh, BHP has spun out those uh, Woodside shares now, and the re-amalgamated uh, Woodside shares are going to start trading in a few days on the 2nd of uh, June. It's going to be interesting because it means there's going to be a re-weighting in terms of the index weighting for Woodside as well. So that goes up to 2.7%. The energy sector moves from being the 10th smallest sector on the market to the 7th smallest sector on the market. And we know that there's lots of exchange trader funds out there that just simply track the index. So just because of that, I think Woodside will see a bit of demand over the next few sessions. In the lead up to that, we know that a steadfast will be included in the MSCI, in one of the indices there as well, um, mm. over the next couple of weeks. So that should be an interesting one to watch. So there's certainly lots of little events in terms of index weights which are happening on the market 
which will move individual stock prices as well. Okay, as always, Julia, a great um, contribution you've made. Fantastic. You're going on leave for a little while. We'll miss you, but um, I'm sure we'll see you in the not too distant future. I'll see you again soon. Thanks, Pete. Well, it's been a rebound day on the stock market, driven by some good news out of the US and probably some other individual good news for some companies. Jimbo Lou, great to see you. Good Big to be here. Big smile on your face. Oh, absolutely. Some of the way stock goes up, we feel very happy about it. <laughs> yeah. Is, is it sustainable? Is the worst of that US sell-off off? Hard question, I know, but what's your gut feeling? Well, the gut feel is a big part of it is done. So if you look at what people talk about, high interest rate, expectations, inflation, everything, all of that is priced in. People are expecting enormous amount of interest rate increase and yeah. inflation is probably peaking in terms of expectations. So you will say all the bad news is in, but whether you know we're going to go positive every single day is probably another question. It will be a little bit up and down, but I would say that most of the repricing is done. Yeah, I've been saying for the last three or four weeks that in my Switzer report that mm. um, it looked like the US was trying to bottom, mm. but it was the, that ping pong game between mm. bad news and good news. Mm. And that news around inflation, mm. the PCA that the Fed watches fairly closely, mm. it, it's actually starting to look like inflation in the US is peaking. Is, is that what you're reading of it too? Yeah, absolutely. So for the market to sustainably move higher and to, for us to call, call a bottom, there's really literally a few things. And then we're already seeing quite a few of them coming through. So one is the maximum pessimistic view uh, in terms of where the interest rate is going to go. We think that's already yeah. uh, coming through. It's and then coming back, isn't Coming it? back. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then the central banks has already start saying, oh, potentially in September we might actually stop. So, you know, these sort of commentary. Take stock. Yeah. Mm. And is actually positive and secondly to see the inflation peaking like you said some of the inflation uh, for projected inflation numbers actually is not as bad as expected now mm. um, and then the next one is equity market has fallen so we see especially in the tech and growth space has fallen quite a bit so we're getting very close so, so it may not be t yesterday today but you know we're getting very very close to that yeah. bottom yeah it seems to me it would take a really bad piece of news to come along to reverse the that creeping um, sentiment, which is becoming day by day more positive than negative. I would think so, yes, yeah. absolutely. Do you think the Friday jobs report in the US is going to be really important in that sense that they will <laughs> delve into it? If there's massive job creation that would probably spark more inflation fears and vice versa? Look, I think even, <laughs> I don't think so, right. but even if it does, it, when you think about it, it's, it's a backward looking data. Yeah. So we knew that inflation was strong. We knew everything was strong because there was so much stimulus. Yeah. And uh, but see, ever since the, um, the interest rate putting in place and all that forward projecting sort of indicator uh, based on what companies saying or the reporting and uh, you know consumer confidence, everything's fallen since then. So, yeah. you know, all that data, it doesn't really matter. It's backward looking. Uh, yeah, I noticed that uh, I'm sure you, you've listened to the work of Tom Lee at Fundstrat mm. in the US. And he made the point that the Fed looks at the JOLTS um, job report in trying to work out where the market's going, but the Indeed uh, data mm. is actually more current and up to date. Mm. And that's been showing that the US labour market is actually starting to soften. It was very tight and mm. now it's starting to soften. So that's another important indicator for the Fed. If the job market's not as tight, 
they wouldn't expect the wage rises to be the same. Absolutely. Central yeah. Bankers is going to watch those data very, very closely. One of the things that um, the economists or um, the, you know strategists in the marketplace could never really fully understand is why they had the great resignation, why people not coming back to work in yeah. the US and why you know people just stopped working. Well, that's because there was so much stimulus. So people had all the paycheck, especially yeah. lower paid jobs. They didn't have to come back. That's why labor market was so tight. Company couldn't get anybody and there was so much demand because markets reopening. Yeah. Um, so that's why it created all that job, um, you know, wage growth. Yeah. Okay. So the fingers crossed that the the worst is probably behind us, mm. despite the fact. But you and I both agree it's not going to go up, up, up. But mm. it's certainly is it's looking promising. Mm. All right. So given that, how are, how are you investing in this market today? Mm. Like, uh, let's bring up one stock that you mm. and I have both <laughs> given an enormous amount of. Um, uh, time and stress. <laughs> time and stress. A2 Milk has had a good day today. Absolutely. Explain to the audience why it's had a good day. Well, that's mainly as a result of uh, Bob has won a contract. That's from a rival. The FDA, a rival, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, won a first contract from the FDA in yeah. the US for you know small nominal amount, 1.2 million tins of mm. infant formula. Now, the reason this is happening has a great implication for infant formula makers around the world is that US market is actually a, a closed infant formula market. It's two player market. Um, it's Nestle and Abbott, I think, the two of them. And um, now one of them, and then, you know, uh, the US FDA never allowed anybody else to really come in because yeah. they said we everything has to be made in the US for babies, mm. uh, for our babies. Yeah. And uh, now uh, one of them, Abbott, had recently had a product contamination. Some baby died as a result, very tragically. Yeah. So their plant was shut for a month, and that's enormous amount of supply, like a shortage. Yeah. Um, and then Abbott said, oh, we, we'll come back on, you know, in a month time, we'll be fine. But First of all, there's brain, uh, brand damage, mm. and uh, secondly, you know, people will be very careful yeah. uh, what to do. And then a couple months shortage um, will mean enormous amount of supply not being met. So you know, you saw Biden actually commented that we are now over the weekend say we're going to now open up to um, other makers um, from other countries into yeah. the thing. And Bob is the first one that got that contract, partly because they've always been working in that U.S. market for quite some time, yeah. whereas A2 and a few others was focusing on China. Yeah. And if U.S. become available, this is enormous amount of opportunity yeah. um, could be bigger than China. Yeah, good. Okay, so yeah. A2 uh, shot in the arm. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. It was unfairly sold off. Yeah. Now, I presume also tech stocks have done well today. Mm. And, and I've always said that when you get some good news coming out of the US and the NASDAQ goes up and our tech stocks have a better day, mm. to me it's a sneak preview of what happens when we move from a risk-off situation, which mm. we've been in, to risk-on. Mm. And that might, may well be even made better if the Ukraine war ends and China's out of lockdown. I'm looking at all the good things that could happen, may, mm. maybe by the end of the year or early next 2023. Mm. So is, is this a, a fair... Do you agree that when we see stocks like Tyro and Zip improve, it's because it's a sneak preview of what might happen? Not to say it's going to go back to the highs that have, mm. but they seem like they've been oversold. Oh, absolutely. Um, they've been oversold. Most of them have lost 80% of their market value. Uh, even the market leader, like Zero, has been sold off so much. Zero yeah. went to you know below went to eighty dollars at yeah. one point when the result came. Um, that's you know something like this. You absolutely when the market stabilized, like you said, the risk sentiments set stabilized. People know what the inflation will be. They know what the interest rate is going to be. So there's you know the war hopefully will ease somewhat. You know yeah. all of that just means there will be more confidence for people to put money into the market. Uh, and I do think the second half of this year does look pretty good for equity market. Yeah. I do think these stocks will outperform. Yeah, okay. Mm. So 
looking at right now, has there been any new stock you've added to your portfolio or any stock or two that you've added more of an existing holding because of what you saw mm. maybe over the, over on Friday in the US? Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. So look, <laughs> the sorry. question's over. Yeah, yeah, look, I didn't have anything else to say. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, look, absolutely. So for me, um, I tend to buy things on the way down. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, because we work out of valuation, things uh. like zero went to $80. You know, there, there is so much value. Actually, you know, zero, I was buying at uh, uh, under $90 yeah. because that is just a. Uh, You're you know, bumping people out of the way to I buy. I was just then. buying, yeah. yeah. But then, you know, you know, this is sort of market where you don't get set. You know, yeah. buy a little bit when it goes down. And, and then, you know, you kind of build your position over time. But this, because I'm buying this company, for the long term, not buying it for the next three months. And I know over the long term, everything's all good. So yeah. things like that, we do keep topping up and particularly the current market. Mm. Aristocrat is another example when it was sold off enormously and uh, worry about people worry about consumer yeah. in the US. But remember, this is a gaming stock. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Gamblers <laughs> tend to gamble even when they haven't got that's money. That's right, that's right. They'll and borrow uh, again. Exactly. So that's the thing. And especially gaming company, they went through such tough time because casino were closed mm. for big parts of the time. So now it's reopened. And people lining up to go back to the casino. Um, so, you know, and that company, we just topped up a bit more before the result and the result came through. It was incredibly strong. So these are the things that you just got to buy when you see the opportunity and don't worry about whether it's coming through, but it, you know, you just got to go, I'm happy to buy it because mm. this is the valuation I'm happy to pay for. Is there any company that you've liked, but over the, the last year or so, you've changed your opinion on it? Like a company that's worried me was Nuix. Um, mm. It looked great. We, we, we learnt that we were, in a sense, misled by mm. the CFO. Mm. Um, and so the share price fell. Now, I, it looked to me like some buying opportunities, but it's really finding it hard to impress the market. Have you done any homework on Nuix? Okay, Nuix is the one that I, I, actually, I'm glad you pointed out, is the one that we felt the same. So when we first participated in the IPO, yeah. the story was amazing. And yeah. then we spoke to, we've done a lot of uh, research um, with the private companies, all the co competitors and customers and suppliers. Mm -hmm. um, all of them have said, this is an amazing company. We yeah. use their product, it's fantastic. So we've done all our background check and it was all good. And um, yes, the accounting, um, you know, the accounting method was mm -hmm. quite complicated yeah. but you know honestly they are a contractor right so yeah. they rec recognize revenue in this way and that way so you know we accepted it and uh, we done well out of IPO uh, we did sell it um, but, yeah. uh, but then we bought back in when the share price fell right yeah. we thought okay um, it represent value um, but then you know then the just the management they um, you know they wouldn't take meetings and you know and then subsequently that the management changed and all of that just making it very difficult um, I would say that it does represent great value because the share price is now below, significantly below what it was the mm. private equity offered to buy off, not private equity, the private business yeah. offered to buy off. So there's a lot of value. Um, you know, it's just that you have to be very patient because yeah. they're going through new management, going through uh, a new board. Have they lost contracts because of the, 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 the reputational loss on the market? Or? Well, they say they haven't. Mm. So the challenge is because they previously- They would say they Yeah, they haven't. would say, they say they haven't. That's the yeah, thing, because yeah. they knew management. That's a crime to do it as a public company. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, um, so 
It looks like they haven't, mm. but because the way they um, they account for a lot of revenue previously was booking the revenue the minute they get the contract, mm. but the contract has to be provided services over many years, right? So that means the cash conversion is very, very poor. So the new management, as they come in, they go, well, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So clearly, normally, that's what they do, you know, come up with a better way of measuring. Yeah. And they go, okay, we're going to re-recognize a lot of those revenue, which means the earning needs to be significantly rebased. So yeah. they're still going halfway through this process. Yeah. So the earning is still going to look worse because of, you know, just optically going to look worse mm. because they're rebasing it. Cash flow will look a bit better. Um, but I think that's just a challenge at the moment. Okay. Last question. Um, and because you are a mother, mm-hmm. yeah, imagine your child, even though I know they're, they're a lot too, far too young to be playing in the market now, but maybe I'm <laughs> wrong. Um, um, if they came to you and said, Mum, what's the stock I should buy now? What's the stock I should buy now? that will do well over the next, say, two to three years. Which one would you say? Because there's a lot of good ones at low prices. I don't, I've got lots of them. Um, um, okay. No, Mum, just one. <laughs> just just one. one, okay. Put in CSL. CSL. Mm. Okay. Regardless what happens with the economy, recession, no recession, regardless what happens, yeah. it will do double-digit growth for the next two, three years, or even further, yeah. um, and the valuation is cheap. Okay, I'll give you a second one, because that is a really, good quality one, <laughs> what is the one that could shoot the lights out? Like, for example, three or four weeks ago, when every time I looked at the, 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 the falling uh, share prices in the mm. US, I kept saying to myself, but I'm interviewing June Baylou and Julia Lee on Zoom, but Zoom's share price is falling. This is the company of the future. I can't believe how far it's fallen. Now, it's rebounded about 20% this mm-hmm. week. What, what is this like company of the future that really has been built up lately, but you think it just can't fail going forward? Is it? Oh, look. Uh, so uh, again, there's <laughs> another quality one, which is you know zero, which yeah. is uh, that that is something for the bottom drawer. You don't yeah. even have to worry about it because they just keep adding more and more and more. Yeah. Um, but I would say you look through that whole tech sector. Um, yeah. You know, all of them has been belted. There are so many high quality companies, mm. um, and they their growth. And some of them are takeover targets as well. Aren't oh, they? they're going to get taken over if yeah. they don't. They stay at that valuation. Yeah. Once the market valuation stabilizes, they will mm. be gone. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Good enough. Great to see you, Jim Lu. Great, thank you. That's Jim Lu of Tribeca Alpha Plus. Well, at this point in time, there are question marks over where the inflation rate's going, what might happen to interest rates. And we saw some good news out of the US over the weekend. I wonder if that will have an impact on what economists are saying here. To find out, we have Paul Bloxham from HSBC. Great to see you, mate. Good to be here. Yeah. So let's start with your view on where you think Australian interest rates will be, the home loan rates will be by year's end. Oh, it's a tricky one. As you're referring to, it's very, very hard to work out exactly where we're headed at this stage. One thing that seems fairly clear is interest rates are going up. The RBA needs to lift rates. Inflation has risen much more suddenly than they expected. And they've got to make up some ground. Um, our own view is that the RBA delivers a sequence of hikes over the next three months and then goes again in November and gets their cash rate to 1.35% by the end of the year. Uh, as the audience would know or likely know, the market's pricing quite a lot more aggressive hikes in than that, uh, partly informed by a global view, which says there's a lot more inflation momentum globally. And the US has had this really big inflation challenge and there's an expectation that the RBA might follow suit. 
we're of the view that the RBA might be a little bit more cautious than that, that we are, still haven't seen clear evidence that it's getting through to a strong lift in, in wages growth. Uh, and that also we're already seeing a cooling housing market. House prices are already falling in Australia. So they're already having an impact. Even uh, it was it was they were already having an impact just by the guidance that rates were likely to rise. And now, of course, the cash rates risen in one step and, it, and house prices are already falling. So as house, as house prices start to decline, we think that will likely take some momentum out of the consumer and out of the inflation story as well. So 1.35% is our call for the end of the year. But I, I have to say, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, more than usual uncertainty around that sort of forecast. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. And I was, I was glad when I heard that, uh, you know, Matt Common came out, obviously with the economics view from um, CBA, with a similar number to you. It seemed, it seemed more sensible where, you know, you know yourself, there's, there's some guys out there with a 3% cash rate by the end of the year. Well, to my way of thinking, Paul, that would nearly instantaneously create a recession and a housing price crash. Is, is that too dramatic? Oh, I think so. I mean, I, that's our framing as well, is that slamming the brakes on like that would really dramatically slow the economy down and risk delivering a recession. And I, I don't think the RBA is going to go down that pathway, although it is worth noting that we're not far off that story if we look across the Tasman. If we look at what New Zealand is doing, the yeah. RBNZ has obviously lifted its cash rate quite aggressively already. They, they've gone up from 25 basis points just eight months ago to now uh, being at 2%. And, and they're giving pretty clear guidance they're going to go further. We think that the, RBA, the RBNZ will have delivered cash rate hikes of 300 basis points over just over a 12-month period. So uh, they are slamming the brakes on, it seems. And they are also conceding that that is going to drive house prices down and in all likelihood is going to slow the economy markedly. They're very close to forecasting that there might be a recession in their own forecast. That's the RBNZ's forecast across yeah. the Tasman. So, so you can draw a neat contrast here, I think. At least we think it is a contrast. We think the RBA is unlikely to do the same thing that the RBNZ's done. And I guess the question becomes why. And so there's two key features. One is they have already got a wage price spiral going on in New Zealand where the prices are feeding through to higher wages and it is becoming more embedded in inflation expectations. People are starting to expect that inflation will persistently be much higher than the RBNZ's target. So they're, they're needing to move fast to slam the brakes on because they've got seemingly a different dynamic to what we've got here. Yeah. Do the Kiwis have the same or did they have the same magnitude of increase in their budget as a percentage, the deficit as a percentage of GDP, or, or were they more restrained? Because my way of thinking, if the Reserve Bank goes too hard here and creates a recession, it really makes the problem of getting the deficit down all that much harder. Uh, it was a similar sort of in, uh, response to the pandemic in, in New Zealand in terms of the quantum of the amount of fiscal stimulus that was delivered. But I think the differences, I think the key differences, there's two of them. One, one of them, I think, is that the economy kept the, they kept the virus out for longer. And so the economy was closer to normal for longer in New Zealand. Okay. And so, so I think, you know, you had all this fiscal stimulus and this monetary stimulus, but you had an economy that wasn't actually far off, off somewhat normal. And I think the other thing is it's a much smaller, less diversified economy that's much more reliant on things that come across the border, including people. Um, and so I think it became, you know, that, that strength uh, of the economy, the demand story, but also the, the supply squeeze from the closed border was much more pronounced there than it has been here. So, so that's why we think we are likely to get a different sort of inflation dynamic and a different sort of central bank response as well.
Mm. Looking at, and I know you, you don't you know, comment on stock markets, but you would, you would t take into effect in, in working out your economic modelling the confidence effects that come from you know, for a massive sell-off of, of US stocks compared to Australia where there's been a quite a small kind of sell-off. The, the reasons for our market doing well compared to the US, apart from the fact that the US was overbought over, uh, with all its tech stocks, is that commodity prices are, are really doing well and that's something that you do look at pretty closely. What's your outlook for commodity prices for the rest of this year? I think that's absolutely right in terms of describing the dynamics of the equity market. One of the key things is obviously a big tech sector in the US and Australia is much more much more about commodities uh, and bank banks, in fact, the banking sector. Yeah. Uh, and the commodity story has been pretty positive. Uh, you know, the, the combination of what's going on on the eastern border of Europe, which has driven commodity prices higher, with also the fact that China, uh, with its 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 needing to run, it's running a COVID zero strategy at the moment, and of course that's a challenge. It needs to deliver lockdowns in order to support its economy. In the face of that, they've delivered a pickup in infrastructure investment. They're pulling the levers on infrastructure investment again. And of course that drives, also drives a lift in commodity prices. So if you look across the commodity story, you know, we've been at all time highs on the global commodity price index uh, in, in recent months. Um, and it looks as though it's gonna be quite sustained at those higher levels. Uh, one of them being the supply constraints from Eastern Europe, from what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And the other feature being uh, that there's a there's a demand story that's going to come through as the Chinese are pulling the lever on that infrastructure. That's a that's a pretty good story in the scheme of things. It's supportive of Australia's national incomes, and as you say, it's supportive of the mining sector, the resources sector here too. So so that's that's one of the more positive aspects. I think that the, you know a lot of the world suffers when commodity prices go up because a lot of countries are commodity importers. We do import some commodities, but being a commodity exporter means we also get uh, an offsetting positive effect. Mm. What about the Aus dollar then? Um, I know um, Michael Knox from Morgan said that when the US budget deficit blows out the back door, that generally leads to a lower Aussie dollar, uh, sorry, US dollar, and the Aussie benefits from it. Now, we know that the US budget deficit has blown out the back door, um, but they're also well ahead of everybody in terms of interest rate rises. So what's your best guess? And I know I say best guess because I wouldn't even expect you to get the dollar right. It's a hard one. But what's your, your feeling about where the A dollar might go over the next year? Yeah, it's a tricky one. It really is. Um, look, the, the, the view that we have at HSBC is that there's a, that it, the likely pathway is a bit further down yet. I know it's been rallying over the last few weeks, but actually there's still a bit more downward momentum to come and dropping below 70 again is, is what the team have got in mind. And how they get there is essentially along the lines of a story that says, you know, the US is still the economy that's got the most economic momentum. Uh, you've also got, of course, the Fed expected to lift rates quite aggressively. Uh, and so capital just move, wanting to move back to the big dollar and, and that putting downward pressure pretty much across the board. And so they've factored that into the Aussie story. Yeah, there's a few Aussie dynamics that are specific like that. We're doing a bit better from the commodity story. Um, but you would still say that, it, and, and it's certainly our view that, you know, the RBA looks as though they're likely to be more dovish than the than the Federal Reserve. I mean, and, and rightly so in a way. I mean, mm. Australian inflation is running at 5.1 on the first quarter and in the US it's running at 8.3. I mean, they've got a bigger inflation problem. It's getting through to wages in the in the US as well. So a much, much stronger uh, rate story for the, U, for the US. Capital moving back to the US dollar, stronger big dollar, weaker Aussie dollar. That's, that's, okay. the, that's the broad sweep. And, and Paul, if we roll 
ahead say, let's imagine within six to nine months, Ukraine war is over and we, oil prices fall and, and China's out of lockdown. You, see, you can see I'm being very optimistic, but they're out of lo lockdown and they're getting that sort of economic rebound that all economies get when they get out of lockdown. Can you see the possibility of a, of a stronger global economy that then will sustain commodity prices and arguably um, bring the Aus dollar up on, on the context that a strong global recovery, maybe the US has stopped raising interest rates by then because they've done a fair bit and the, the inflation numbers we got over the weekend out of the US were better than expected. Is that kind of scenario still possible or would you still stay in the, the Aussie dollar is going to be lower for longer? I think there's, and I think what you're getting towards here is a risk on risk off type framework for thinking about the currency. And I think it's important as well. And our FX team certainly weighs into that as well and says, well, at the moment, a lot of the risks are tilted to the downside. We've had global risk off. We've got COVID in China, which is constraining their growth. We've got the issues with geopolitics in Europe as well. Uh, if we were to tilt in the other direction and some of those risks were to disappear and we were in a risk on environment, that would potentially be an upside risk for the Aussie dollar. So, yeah. so certainly that's um, that's certainly a, a framework through which the FX team thinks, and we think at HSBC about the yeah. about the outlook for currencies. Yeah, and I, I know it's, it's a risk on risk off currency. Yeah, because okay. I know every morning when I, I I cover the markets with Ben Fordham on Two GB, whenever there's a, a massive spike, and particularly in the Nasdaq, the the Aussie dollar goes up at the same time, and it's because. Optimism is returning, whether it lasts is another issue again. But every time optimism comes back with a, a bang, that A dollar goes up. Yeah, there's a very strong uh, positive correlation between the Aussie dollar and, and US equities, actually. Uh, and, and a lot of that's just uh, just reflecting uh, what we're describing, which is when, uh, when there's a risk on global event, it tends to feed through to a more positive dynamic for the Aussie dollar and likewise in the other direction. Yeah, Paul, I learned that lesson the hard way. I, I went into a thing called the Triple Q uh, ETF way back after the dot-com crash on the basis that I thought that the NASDAQ has to rebound and it did substantially, but the A dollar kept rising with it. So just about every gain I made on the Triple Q, I lost with the currency. So I've, I've learned that lesson the hard way many years ago. One last thing then, if, if you had to... Uh, place a bet on where you think stocks might go for the rest of the, this year. Are you, are you inclined to think that there could be a gradual improvement or do you think we're going to be in this kind of up and down on a, on a, on a losing trend? I think that's a bit too specific for me. <laughs> I would Fair say enough. in broad terms, I'm a macroeconomist. I'd say at the moment, we've still got some pretty challenging times for the global growth story. That, that, that would be the way I would frame it. I think global growth is slowing down um, but also we've got most of the risks to the global growth story are tilted to the downside in my view. And, and the big ones are uh, the fact that US inflation is still high and the, and the Fed's lifting rates and that's going to be a, a tricky balancing act for them to sort of pull, pull that off without seeing a downturn. Uh, you've got the geopolitical developments in Europe, which are obviously very front and centre and, 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 and negative for the global growth story. And then you've got the challenge of managing uh, uh, the virus itself, the pandemic in, in China. I think all three of those, those are the big ones. And they're, they're mostly downside risks rather than upside risks. Yeah, unfortunately, you sound as though you're right too, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's Paul Bloxham of HSBC.
And that's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you on Thursday. Remember, if you want to get more detailed information about the stocks that we think look good or maybe should be sold, have a look at the Switzer Report. Go to switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining us. See you on Thursday.